second sermon I preached this morning. I was in Pakistan at nine o'clock. I've saved enough energy and enthusiasm for you guys. Uh, don't worry. I was just saying to Nuri uh, in the break there that uh, the first sermon series we did as a church when I took over as our pastor was uh, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus. And I said to the 20 or so of us that were there at the time, and I'm looking around and I'm seeing some of those faces that were there, for you to tell me what your favourite story of Jesus was, and I would do my best to preach it. We would get you up and you could have a couple of minutes to say why it was your favourite story. Could have been a parable, could have been a miracle, whatever, and then I'd, I'd do my best to preach it. And Nuri came to me one day and said, I can't honestly say this is my favourite because I've really only discovered this story this week, but it's, it's when Jesus... Uh, it uh, tells Peter to go and catch a solitary fish. And in that fish, there's going to be a coin in the mouth for him to pay the temple tax. And so I preached that passage for the first time. I'd never preached it before. And I loved it so much that if I get an invitation somewhere to preach somewhere now, I'll quite often take that passage. So I preached it three or four times. And I preached it in, in, on, in online in Pakistan this morning. And hopefully I did justice to it. And uh, one of the reasons that's an interesting story it's from Matthew's Gospel, and Matthew has this eye for detail that some of the other Gospels don't have. And there are a few stories in Matthew's Gospel that only appear in Matthew's Gospel. That's one of them. And we're going to come to another one later on today. But we are going to be in Matthew's Gospel this morning. Remember, our main series title is The Disciple Way, Journeying with Jesus. We've, we try not to use the term discipleship too much it's a legitimate term, but sometimes it makes us think about do's and don'ts or a course or, or, or a set of actions that we have to follow. And we want to talk more about being disciples. And rather than us, here's your top 10 tips for being a disciple, we're trying to say, here are the words of Jesus to his disciples. Here are the situations where Jesus encounters those who are going to follow him perhaps for the first time or who are going to be encouraged to keep on following him. And let's look at what he says and let's look at how they respond and let's see what we can learn from that today. And so each week in this season, if we're doing our job, there should be some familiar things coming up each week reinforcing us about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what he says to his disciples and how we respond and there should be some fresh things each week as well that we go oh didn't realize that never thought of that before that's interesting that's a different dimension to it and as Ben has already said we're trying to create some space on a Wednesday night and these fortnightly discipleship conversations for some of the oohs or that's interesting or don't understand that to come up and it's open to everybody but particularly for those who have Still trying to process things and working things through and got some questions and some, and, and some, and some uncertainty and, and some doubts. Then the discipleship conversations night is the place for that to happen. And, and like Ben said, we're going to record it. We won't put it out publicly, but we will circulate it around the church. So if you've got a question and you feel a bit embarrassed about answering it, the whole world isn't going to hear your question. Not that the whole world watches our podcasts anyway, our, our, our online stuff anyway, but just those of us that have keyed in are going to be able to watch that. So anyway, the, this, this morning we're looking at what I've called the potential, the potential of being a disciple. I think we've got it on the next slide. Are we There we go. The potential of being a disciple. And our main thinking is going to be in Matthew 
chapter 9, that should say, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. And then another little story that only appears in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 9. And it's the calling of this man, Matthew. It's the calling of the man who writes this gospel. So we'll just leave it on there for a little bit as I read this passage. You haven't got, we haven't got the passage up, but if, you've, if you want to follow it, Matthew chapter 9. I'm reading from verse 9 to verse 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, Father, as we read this passage this morning, we pray that you might speak to us. Again, we ask, as those that are just trying to follow you with everything we've got, would you open our eyes, would you open our ears this morning, and give us a greater revelation of who you are and who we can be. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, of course, the first thing that I want to talk about, and it's on the next slide, Jesus invites an unlikely recruit. Matthew is a tax collector. He's sitting at his tax booth. You know, tax collectors in ancient Israel were often despised, hated by their fellow Jews. Why? Well, they were considered traitors for collaborating with the Roman authorities and often accused of dishonest practice. This booth is likely just outside Capernaum, where Jesus has got his ministry base. It's on a busy crossroads collecting all types of tax from people on the journey. He would have, Matthew would have had the opportunity to collect tax from local farmers, from craftsmen, from rich tradesmen as they were using this route from, from uh, one continent to, to another. Now, they used to call Galilee, where this was the Galilee, the, uh, Galilee of the Nations, he prayed for the nations earlier. Many nations would pass along this trade route. And you couldn't use it without being taxed by the Romans, except the Romans always got local people to collect their tax. And Matthew has to factor in his cut as well. That's how he makes his money. He was on a commission basis. The more tax he was able to squeeze out of people, the more money he would get for himself. So you can see why he's not very popular. Today, I was having a conversation with Dave and Becky on Friday, and we were saying, what's the equivalent today of, of that sort of you know, distrust, mistrust of, of, of a tax collector? We thought, is it, is it a traffic warden? We thought, it's probably a bit stronger than that. Although some of us have had unpleasant experiences with traffic wardens on Sunday mornings at our old venue. Again, apologies for those of you who picked up a parking ticket. We thought, would it be a debt collector? Would it be a drug dealer? Would it be a pickpocket on a busy city street? But you think of somebody whose main job in life was to exploit other people 
and get as much money out of them as possible for their own profit. So that's Matthew. And again, he is one of these unlikely recruits that Jesus invites to do what? To follow me. And so sometimes you might be sitting here looking around thinking, I don't fit, I'm a bit unlikely. Why is, why, why is God on my case? And I want to remind you that God specialises in inviting unlikely people to follow him. In fact, if you think, hey, I'm good enough, I qualify to follow God, you're almost disqualifying yourself. If you've got that, why me? Am I good enough? Do I fit? What about, what about my lifestyle? What about the stuff I've been, I've been used to doing? Then be reminded that Jesus makes a habit of inviting unlikely recruits. Let's read these words from Matthew 9, verse 9. I think they're going to be there. Here we go. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. What do we learn from there? Jesus has always got his eyes on people. When Jesus is calling people, it always starts, Jesus sees somebody. Jesus sees somebody before they see him. Jesus has seen you before you've seen him. He's noticed you before you've noticed him. He's aware of what's going on in your life before you're even aware that he exists. God has got his eye on you. And I don't mean that in a sort of judgmental way. I mean that in a caring, acknowledging, understanding way that Jesus sees you. And again, there's this consistency. Follow me. You would think if Jesus was like the religious people, the moment he sees where Matthew is sitting at the tax collector's booth, Jesus would go, uh-uh, and move on. But he doesn't. He invites him, those simple words, follow me. And we said we've made so much about what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus. And at its most basic level, it's responding to those words of Jesus when he says, Follow me. And there's that obedience that we've talked about, that instant obedience. Matthew gets up and follows him. And Matthew is writing this himself 30, 40 years later, something like that. He's writing this story. And he's understating things, if anything, because Luke's version of this says, Matthew got up, left everything, and followed him. In other words, Luke is willing to say what Matthew is a bit too modest to say, that he leaves behind this lucrative career, he leaves behind this financial gain that he's got, in order to follow Jesus. And a recurring theme this morning is going to be that when people decide to follow Jesus, there's always an element of leaving something behind. But what they're going on to is always more attractive than what they leave behind. Matthew's name is gift from God. So it's as if Jesus is looking at him and saying to everybody else around, you're seeing, you're seeing a corrupt, greedy 
tax collector. That's all the potential you're seeing. I'm seeing a man who could live up to his name, a gift from God. Now see, sometimes the world looks at us and defines us in that one mistake we've made or that one area of weakness or that one very public thing that everybody knows about us. And they define us by that. And they refuse to see that we've got any other potential than that mistake, that breakdown of relationship, that problem, that issue. And Jesus looks at us and says, you know what? If you could follow me, then I will enable you to reach that full potential that you were put on this planet for. And so very simple verse, but we see so much about the heart of Jesus in that verse. And Matthew goes on to write what many have described as, if you remember about, or however long ago, when we looked at Matthew's gospel a couple of years ago, when we read it together for a month, some people have said that Matthew's gospel is the most important book ever written in the world. Others have said it's the most successful book ever written. Others have said when you read Matthew's gospel, it's a thrilling experience. It's simply irresistible. So imagine what we've missed out on if the Bible didn't have Matthew's gospel. If Jesus just rejected Matthew, he's never going to be any good because he's a tax collector. Let's ditch him and move on. And I want to say this, the world will miss something if you think that God wants to overlook you. There is something in your life, following Jesus, that you can bring to the kingdom of God that nobody else can. And so when you choose to follow Jesus... It's not only a blessing for you, it's a blessing for the church. It's a blessing for that, that whole body of the church that we were praying for this morning. So Matthew writes this eyewitness account of Jesus. He uses his accountant's eye for detail to be very precise in his gospel. That's why he tells us some stories that nobody else has remembered, that nobody else tells us about and he's got this great order to his gospel he's he's a Jew writing a very Jewish book about the Jewish Messiah Jesus tradition tells us we can't be certain about this that tradition tells us that like many of the disciples Matthew ends, ends up preaching in other nations and taking the name of Jesus to the nations some traditions have him martyred for his faith. Others have him dying in his old age. We don't know. But what we do know is Jesus takes hold of a corrupt, greedy, traitorous tax collector and makes him a world changer. If Jesus could do that then, could he perhaps do that today? 
If Jesus could do that transformation in that man's life, could he do something in your life? One or two people seem to think he could. Some of us can nod because we know that. We are that unlikely recruit. I'm looking around. I know some of your stories. You know some of my story. Some of us, we are... We are that unlikely recruit. We are that person who didn't deserve to be called by God, yet he's called us anyway. We are that person who the world might have looked at us and thought, waster, deadbeat, failure, crooked, shameful. We are that person. Was it just me? (laughs) We are that person, aren't we? And God has chosen through his son Jesus to to give us that greatest invitation that anybody can ever have. The son of God says to us, hey, follow me. No wonder Matthew gets up, leaves that life behind and starts following Jesus. Because you see, the next thing I want to say, and I've, I've... unpacked it already really, but let's put it on the screen, is that Jesus challenges assumptions. Jesus challenges assumptions. You've been victim to the assumptions that other people have had about you, haven't you? You've been sometimes victim of your own assumptions about yourself, haven't you? Thank you. And Jesus challenges those assumptions all the time. You know what they say, one should never assume because it makes an ass out of you and me. Ass, you, me, assume, you see. And Jesus challenges those assumptions. What's in this situation? It's the assumptions that everybody else has about somebody like Matthew. It's the assumptions that the religious leaders have about Matthew and the type of people that Matthew associates with. Let's have a look at these next verses. Matthew 9, 10 and 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, we read an unexpected call like this and it challenges our prejudices, our assumptions about who fits in and who doesn't. About who Jesus chooses to include in his mission. It reminds us that Jesus extends his grace and his invitation to all, regardless of their background or their reputation. We've got to be open to the surprising ways that God calls people. We've got to be open to the surprising people that God calls in surprising ways. Jesus is here dining with tax collectors and sinners. Where? At Matthew's house. It's as if Matthew has left everything behind. But he said, look, my parting gift to all my tax collector friends, my parting gift to all the people, all the riffraff that I hang around with, I want to introduce them to Jesus. So I'm going to have a big party at my house. I'm going to have all my mates there. 
And Jesus is going to be there to meet them all. Isn't that astonishing? A, that he should want to do that, but B, that he knows that Jesus isn't going to reject those people. And so Jesus is there. And at this ancient times, one of the most powerful ways of affirming somebody, of saying, I trust you, I believe in you, is sitting down and eating with somebody. And so Jesus is there. And who's he eating with? Well, he's eating with tax collectors and he's eating with what Matthew puts in parentheses, sinners. Who defines them as that? Well, it's the Pharisees, the religious people. And they're criticising Jesus for associating with those that they think aren't good enough. Because you see, they are the very people who have those assumptions that need to be challenged. And they are looking at, they are looking at Matthew and his kind and they are saying, not good enough, unworthy, sinners. But Jesus sees deeper than that and sees the potential that those people have. Jesus is sharing a meal with those who others would more easily spit at. This scene really encompasses who Jesus is and how he wants to relate to people. And in it, he declares his purpose. Challenges us to examine our attitude. Jesus is saying, these are the very people I've come for. We need to embrace people out of a spirit of inclusivity and grace. We want to give them the same invitation that God has given us to follow him. It's not up to us to decide whether they're good enough or bad enough to follow Jesus. It's not up to us to decide how they should follow. It's not us up to decide you're in and you're not. We just have to offer that invitation, the same invitation that Jesus has given us. And so Jesus quotes from the prophet Hosea. Let's look at these next verses, 12 and 13. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. We're in church most weeks, I hope, not because we think we're spiritually healthy, but because we realise we're at real risk of being spiritually sick. And we need regular connection with the doctor. Now, don't let me get started about the NHS. That's a different topic for a different day, especially with Dr. Richard in the house. But Jesus is reminding us, I haven't come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. I haven't come for those self-righteous who think they're good enough. Although if they honestly repent in humility, I'll welcome them. I've come for those who think they aren't good enough. I've come for those who think they've messed up. I've come from, for those who desperately need God in their life. 
And when we get together with other disciples trying to follow Jesus, and we hear words like that, we go, okay, so we're all in the same boat. None of us is perfect. We've all got some spiritual sickness that we need God, God's help with. And that most fundamental one of all is that, is that selfishness, that sin sickness that separates us from God. And as Jesus invites us in, he invites us into that relationship with him through the cross and the resurrection that once and for all solves our sin sickness and gives us that eternal spiritual health inside that can only come from him. So Jesus quotes in the prophet, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What's he saying? He's saying, he's saying I've come to squash the religious do-good mindset of the religious leaders. And I've come to offer you grace and compassion. The central theme in Jesus' teaching. You can't change your heart by rules and regulations, by being good enough, by being religious enough. You can only really have that change when your heart is transformed by the love and the mercy of Jesus. And so this challenges us. Do our attitudes, do our actions reflect the compassionate love of Jesus? The way we judge others, does that come from a loving and compassionate heart? The way that we judge ourselves, does it come from that loving and compassionate and honest and open place that Jesus brings? Would we invite some of the sinners that we know around our table? Or would we look at them and go, not them? You know, if we set some religious standards on this church, if we said, right, these are the things we've got to do in order to match up, within a few weeks, there'd be nobody here. I'll tell you who would go first, and I'll tell you who would last. No, I won't do that. Some of you would last longer than me, let me still put it that way. But that's not what the life that Jesus is calling us to. That's not being a disciple. Being a disciple, I'm saying it again because I want to hammer this home. Jesus loves you just as you are. But he doesn't want you to stay that way. He wants you to become more like him. The Christian message is come as you are. But the Christian message isn't stay as you are. The Christian, Christ, Christian message is become more like Jesus. And only Jesus can release your full potential. First of all, that transformation comes through repentance and turning. We talked about this a bit last week. Ben shared with us that their starting journey is saying, I was going in this direction. I was a greedy, 
conniving, rich tax collector. But I'm going to go this way instead. Because I realize this journey is much better for me in this life and in the life to come. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he begins to draw out of us that potential of who we were meant to be. And when we live trying to match our lives to him as inclusive and compassionate disciples, then that potential just goes through the roof. I remember we said a few weeks ago that at one and the same time, that call to follow Jesus is inclusive and it's exclusive. The call to Jesus, follow me, goes out to anybody who's willing to hear. To nobody is disqualified. But the the exclusivity of it is when we recognize Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But a total and obedient response is required to trigger this potential. And we see again this morning in this story of of Matthew, he's all in and he's immediate. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, that when you give your life to Jesus, when you start following him, three things happen. One, you have that, compared to the, a, a great God in heaven, you have this humility about you, where you say those words that John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. So there's a humility about us. There's also a happiness about us, or more effectively, a joy. Our joy will be complete, the Bible says. And just as an aside, we've got, we used to be, every time I mentioned joy, I would always point to joy in the congregation. Now we've got a grace and we've got a mercy as well. So we're really doing great. So anybody else want to come in with a very holy name, then that's, that's fantastic. Joy, grace, mercy, Nigel. Doesn't really work, does it? So we have this humility about us, we have this happiness, this overflowing joy, but, and we also have this desire to be holy, to be more like Jesus. And that's the work that only God can do in us. We can't try our hardest to be more like God, but we can't allow him more and more into our lives so that we are more like Jesus. The Bible says we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Time out, let's talk to parents a little bit. Let me just say that we are trying to work out sooner rather than later with the school to have a creche room here so that on Sundays we will have a room in the next few weeks, hopefully, where we'll be a room for parents who want to take kids in. We'll have a relay. It might not be video, but it'll certainly be audio from the service. So for those parents that are faithfully ploughing on with, with kids in the, in the congregation, we thank you for that. We understand your challenge. It's more of a challenge for you than it is for us. We're fine about it. But we are going to try to help you out very soon 
on, on Sundays. And, it, and it's just a great sign of growth. So hang in with us and hopefully we'll be sorted out soon. Final thing. I said at the start that uh, Matthew has a habit of telling stories that others don't in their gospel. So we're going to focus on one of these now. Matthew, it's a story that Jesus tells us. You won't find it anywhere else other than in Matthew's gospel. And it helps us sum up, I think, the heart of what we're trying to say this morning. It's, it's two little parables, two mini parables called kingdom parables. And in Matthew 13, two stories in only three verses. So let me read these to you. If you want to find them in your Bible, they're in Matthew 13. And we'll use this as our, as our sort of sum up time. So Matthew writes this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is another of the favourite passages and stories that I love to tell. And so there's a picture here. It's only a parable. It's not necessarily a true story. But it's a powerful message that Jesus is telling and Matthew's telling us about this. In the ancient world, it was, it was not at all uncommon that if you had riches or treasures, you might bury them in, the, in your own field, in your own land. But as lands were overtaken and wars came and land and territory became other, other peoples and things, it also wasn't unusual to dig and find treasure that had been buried. And so there's this picture of a man. Um, he's, he's not necessarily looking for treasure. He's just a labourer digging holes in the ground. But he comes across a treasure. And when he finds it, he hides it again. Why? Because he probably doesn't own that land. Well, he doesn't own that land. We know that. And once he'd taken it out, that became the property of the person who owned that land. So he hides it again. He goes off. In his joy, he goes off. And what does he do? He, sold, he sells all that he has and bought that field. He probably hasn't got a lot, but what he's got, he sells it. Just think about that for a moment. If you went off today and your determination is to sell everything you've got, what a performance that would be. What a commitment that would be. What extravagance that would be. Sell everything you've got. But he does so joyfully. Why? Because he wants to buy the field. What's the significance of the field? Why is he buying it? It's not for the field, it's for the buried treasure. And he thinks what he's going to get, the buried treasure is worth selling everything else for. We look at that and we think, sold everything? He's, he's, he's looking at that transaction and thinking, bargain. I'm going to sell everything I've got, but this is what I'm going to get. 
The next little story. This man, a merchant, a rich merchant, he is on a he is on an investigative journey. He's looking for fine pearls. He finds the pearl of great price, the older translations say, one of great value. What does he do? He goes away, exactly the same thing. He sells everything and buys the pearl of great price. He knows what he's talking about. He's a merchant. He's an expert. He recognises what he's got is going to be worth everything. And so again, he's all in. I want to say two things about this story. That, that I think the story of Matthew early on and this story that Matthew tells us emphasize. The first one is this, that the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the follow me invitation of Jesus isn't about addition, adding on, it's about exchange. So Jesus never says, you get on with your life the way it has always been and you add me as a lucky charm and things will be great. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you put a cross around your neck as a fashion statement and just name me occasionally and get on with the way things have always been and I'll look after your eternal security. He never says that. He says there is a cost to pay. Your independence, your selfishness, your sinfulness, your disobedience, your fear, your mess. That's what you give up. And you exchange it for the, surprise, surprise, new life that I'm offering you. And you can't just slap a few licks of spiritual paint over your old dirty life because I'm more interested about what's on the inside than what's on the outside. And so the gospel that Jesus invites us into, the follow me, is always about exchange, old life for new life, not just addition, tagging Jesus on to what I've already got. And for some of this, some of us, we have to be discipled out of an old way of life as much as we have to be discipled into a new way of life. I'm not being judgmental, I'm just saying that for some of us, we've got used to living one way of life so often, so much, so regularly, it's so ingrained into us, that as we learn what Jesus is asking us to pick up, we also need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit about what he's asking us to leave behind, to put away, to move away from. And that might be some habits, might be some places, might be some people. And sometimes we need to sort our life out a little bit before we go back and invite the sinners to sit around the table with Jesus. Because sometimes when that happens, Jesus goes off and we stay around the table with the sinners and we're back to the old life that we used to have. So the first thing about that story is not an invitation to add something on. It's in an invitation to exchange a life. I'm seeing a few yawns, so I'm going to wrap this up very quickly. And the second thing is this, that the thrill of the discovery, 
the thrill of the treasure, the thrill of the new life, always outweighs whatever the cost of giving up the old life. And so we're rightly in this season when we're talking about following Jesus and being a disciple, we are talking about the cost a lot. Cost a lot. But this morning we're being reminded that the cost is worth it. That if we're willing to dig deep, there is a buried treasure. Jesus, who was dead, who was buried, who rose again on the third day and is the eternal treasure that God offers you and offers me. And so we can stay in our own life. We can stay with everything we've got. Or we can recognise that actually we can step into the most worthwhile, valuable, incredible life. And we'll never reach that potential until we walk away from what we used to be and we enter this new life willingly following Jesus. And we enter trusting that we're not the finished article, we're not the perfect person, but God is going to do work in our lives. These two people, one of them found this treasure accidentally. They weren't looking for it, they stumbled on it, and that's your story. You weren't particularly looking for God, but God hunted you out. It's as if you stumbled on him, and there he is. And others of you, your journey was searching. You were trying to find something of value, of purpose. There must be more to life than this. Either way, the thrill of the discovery is incredible. And that's what I want to remind you about this morning, whether that thrill for some of you was 50, 60 years ago, whether for some of you it was only a few months ago, whether some of you you're still beginning to discover that now. But when you discover that treasure, when you say those words, I will follow you, Jesus, then the same power that brought Jesus back to life is the power that God unleashes in your life to help you reach the potential that you were meant to be. Is your work life right now the life that you're living? Is it the life that was worth Jesus dying for? Or could your life be transformed into something else as you simply respond to those words of Jesus, follow me? We're going to sing again and then Ben is going to just help us think about how we can respond in prayer to what God has been saying this morning. Just have a quiet moment to yourself right now. Holy Spirit, are you speaking to us? Is there something that you're saying to us this morning through the calling of Matthew, through this little parable that we finished with? Jesus, what do you want us to say to you this morning? What do you want us to hear from you this morning? Music.